together for um, our service last week, Thanksgiving. It was a great time, and prayerfully you had a wonderful time giving thanks wherever you were and whomever you were with. But the last time we got together, we ended that lesson by looking at how God was, we're in this Isaiah series, and we're looking at the book of Isaiah. And you can tune in online, uh, refugechurchonline.com. There's several options, Facebook Live, we have our own YouTube channel, and then uh, podcasts, and all that's on, in, on the website. But the last time we got together, we ended by looking at how God was trying to get Judah. So Israel was split into two. You had the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And God was trying to get Judah to trust him. King Ahaz and the people of Judah were shaking with fear when Israel formed a military coalition with, uh, with um, Syria. And God was trying to prove to Judah, it doesn't matter who forms what coalition where, I'm still in control. Trust me. And if they trusted in him and served him, they would be safe and secure. So God speaks through Ahaz and he tells Ahaz, he says, ask me a sign, whatever sign that you want. And Ahaz, of course, we, this is where we ended up last time, that he says, oh, I don't dare ask God a sign. Trying to look all religious and holier than thou. But really what he was doing is, I don't want to mess around right now because I already formed my own coalition with Assyria. So we can go against Syria and Israel. And so that's why he's going, ah, I don't, I, don't, I don't really want to ask God a sign. But God says to him, no, no, no. He speaks through Isaiah and says, you tell him, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. In Isaiah 7, 14, he says, For a, he says, all right, the virgin will conceive. She will give birth to a son and call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And then we look two chapters later, Isaiah 9 and 6, it says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So what a great prophetic word that Isaiah gives King Ahaz and the entire nation of Judah Israel, and even all of us here today in the 21st century, I'm going to give you a sign. God's always been a God of signs. And he says, a virgin's going to conceive, bring forth a son named Emmanuel. And that son is going to be the mighty God. That baby boy is not a triune and co-equal God. That baby boy is God manifest in flesh. He is the everlasting father. And so tonight we look at, at this next series, uh, the next session in this series. Lord, God, just help us as we study your word. We're looking at this book that your, your prophet Isaiah wrote down, and we're so thankful that it's been preserved for us to look at. And there's so many prophecies about who you are and, and your birth and your coming to this earth, God. And so as we look at these things, just help us to see things that we can apply to our own lives as principles. In, in your name we pray. Amen. See, God was trying so hard to get his people to repent, to turn toward him, and to put their complete trust and confidence in him. And so he's saying, I'm going to give you a sign. You need to trust me. This is going to be good. But they just wouldn't do it. And so Isaiah 9, 13, it says, For all, after all this punishment, the people will still not repent. They will not seek the Lord of heaven's armies. How, how terrible that there's all these warnings, and here's what's going to happen if you don't repent, and here's what you need to look out for, and they still would not repent. Therefore, in a single day, the Lord will destroy both the head and the tail, the noble palm branch and the lowly reed. The leaders of Israel are the head, and the lying prophets are the tail. So he gives us some words there, Isaiah does. 
For the leaders of the people have misled them. They've led them down a path of destruction. That is why the Lord takes no pleasure in the young men and shows no mercy, even to the widows and the orphans. For they are all wicked hypocrites. We talked about hypocrites on Sunday. And they all speak foolishness. But even then, the Lord's anger will not be satisfied. His fist is still poised to strike. I'm guessing, there's, I'm guessing a lot of churches in America did not preach from this passage on Sunday morning. But it's there. Because God was so fed up, he kept saying, Isaiah said, listen, we're ignoring God. God's wanting to do things. We're looking to other people. We're looking to other things. And, and, and God is saying, trust me, trust me. This is not going to go on forever. And this picture is so bleak, but it goes on to say this in Isaiah 9.20. They will attack their neighbor on the right, but will still be hungry. They will devour the neighbor on the left, but will not be satisfied. In the end, they will even eat their own children. What a terrible day. It didn't have to be like this. Isaiah is filled with, trust me, I'll take care of you. Don't worry. Trust me. And, and so when they said, you know, I'm going to, when Ahaz says, no, we made a treaty with, with Assyria to stand against the coalition of Israel and, and, and Syria, and we went with Assyria. That was a slap in the face of God when God was saying, no, ask me a sign. I will do this. I will step in. No, because you've disobeyed, there's going to be a time where you're, you're, you're going to eat, eat your own children. And history points to the fact that this did, in fact, happen when Israel was defeated. If my memory recalls, it's, I think, Mary, Mary of Bethusaba. It's recorded in history as eating, roasting her own infant child. Things got so bad for them. You would think that the terrible words of warning like this, they would turn, but they didn't. Much like there are terrible words of warning in the Apostle John's book called Revelation, where we live right now hasn't happened yet, but yet we know what's going to happen. John the Revelator, he says, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what the end times looks like. Here's, what, here's the destruction that God's going to pour out on the earth. You would think we'd say, oh my goodness, whoa. But still humanity continues just as they did with Isaiah in that time. John says a ton of the same things Isaiah does. And throughout this series, we're going to look at some of those things. He paints just so many of the same pictures that Isaiah does. He sees God reigning supreme on the throne. He sees judgment towards God's people. And we too must turn toward God. We too must completely trust the Lord. The message, the books change, the people change, the dates change, the calendar changes. But the message really never changes. It's still the same. Trust me. Don't worry about that. Turn toward me. Here's what's going to happen if you don't turn toward me. Here's what's going to happen if you do turn toward me. It just, it's, it's this same coherent message throughout the Old and New Testaments. And in Judah's case, Isaiah prophesies about bleak days on the horizon that would come, saying they'd even eat their own children. God's punishment, what we need to remember is God's punishment was never intended to bring destruction. It was intended to bring repentance. That is what God was doing. He was trying to get his people to turn toward him. It was never, he, he never created man and woman in the beginning of time saying, I, just one day, man, I'm going to just destroy them. I just can't wait. It was always, I want this people to walk with me, to fellowship with me, to worship me, to, to be in communion with me. And these are people I've created for, 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 for my good. I, I, I love these people. I rejoice in these people. 
But if they turn against me, then I will use destruction and, and punishment to try to get them to turn back toward me. Even when the foreign nation of Assyria turns on them, you can't make a coalition of the world with, a, with the world and expect the world to bail you out. We're not of this world. God's pe God didn't call his people to be in the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. And so instead of turning toward God, they say, you know, we're going to make a coalition with Assyria. Well, guess what? That lasts a season, kind of like when we make a coalition with the world today. You might enjoy the pleasure of that for a season, but it will not be forever. Assyria turns on them, just like later on Babylon turns on them. And they come to conquer God's people, but even then, they were tools in God's hands. It's not as though the enemy was stronger than what God could handle. So they defeated the people of God. Look what God says over and over. Isaiah 10, 7. The king of Assyria will not understand that he is my tool. God is saying, my people are going to be destroyed. I already warned them in, in chapter 9. But it's not because that they're strong or I can't handle Assyria. What people don't understand, God speaks and says, Assyria is a tool in my hand. Because I'm trying to get the, the attention of my people. His mind does not work that way. His plan is simply to destroy. Isaiah 10, 12. After the Lord has used the king of Assyria to accomplish his purposes on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. He'll turn against the king of Assyria. God is simply saying, hey, they're the enemy of my people. But I am fully in control of this situation. I am using the enemy of my people to try to get my people's attention. And this is exactly what happens in 701 BC, 185,000 Assyrian troops were killed by the plague and the flaming fire. Why? Because God used them as a tool and then God destroyed them. Isaiah 7, uh, 37, 36 tells us that night the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. What a picture. You see, because this is what God could have done for his people all along the way. They were so afraid of the Assyrians, the Syrians, the, the, the Israelites, about all these different things. And God kept saying, just trust me, I've got this. Yeah, but they're greater than our, they're greater, they got greater military. We don't have the things they have. Look at this one verse. The angel of the Lord steps on the scene and wipes out 185,000 people. There is no situation in your life. There is no situation in your life that you need to count the, oh, well, what about this? And, and I don't really have the finances to do that. And I don't really have the power to do this. And I don't really have the energy. And I'm not really young enough or old enough or, or whatever it is or skilled enough or educated enough. And I just, no, no, no. Just stop and say, if God be for me, who can be against me? Okay, if God can send an angel and take out 185,000 of mine enemy after he used my enemy to try to get my attention, this is a great big God that we serve. He controls all, so whatever you are going through today, don't forget it is the Lord who controls all things. God sees you where you're at, and he's doing the things he needs to do to get your focus and attention on him. You know, my prayer is, Lord, help me not to be so dense that I miss what you're trying to do. So I have to keep going over and over. And you have to keep calling my enemies back. 
Because he'll use the Assyrians and the Ninevites and the, he'll use whoever he, Amalekites and Parasites and Jebusites. He'll use whoever he needs to use, the Egyptians, to get my attention. I just want to just pay attention up front so I don't need to keep having the enemies overtake me. I don't, I don't want to keep going through that. So God, help me to walk with confidence and trust in you. And in spite of their lack of repentance and lack of remorse and response, the Lord still promises, after all this, that a remnant shall return. Isaiah 10, 20. You know, you think of us as human beings, right? I know we have some really good people in here tonight. But guess what? Somebody lets us down this many times and slaps us in the face this many times. We would be like, Assyrians, I will help you open the gate. Go get them. I don't care. I'm done with them. But not the Lord. In spite of all of this, it says, in that day, the remnant left in Israel, the survivors in the house of Jacob, will no longer depend on allies who seek to destroy them. It's crazy. They literally were looking for help to the people who wanted to destroy them. We do the same thing in our world. We're looking for help and solace and comfort and strength from a world. And when I say world, I'm not just talking about people and kind and that we're trying to reach. I'm talking about worldly mindset. That we look to a worldly mindset for solace and comfort and strength. And the devil and that, that mindset are the exact things that want to destroy you. That's what we're reading about here. And he says, in that day, the remnant, the survivors in the house of Jacob, will know they're not going to depend on allies who want to destroy them. But they'll faithfully trust the holy Lord of Israel, the one of Israel. A remnant will return. He says, yes, the remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Sounds kind of crazy to prophesy that at a time where they hadn't even been destroyed or dispersed yet. I mean, imagine that. Like, they were not yet destroyed. They were still in that nation. And to start prophesying, hey, a remnant's going to return. They're like, what do you mean return? We're still here. But God already prophesied, hey, you're going to eat your children. My destruction is going to come upon you. I'm telling you what the next step is, but the next step after that step is I'm going to gather my people. A remnant will once again return. But though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand is the seashore, only a remnant of them will return. The Lord has rightly decided to destroy his people. Wow. Remember Abraham? As the sands of the sea. There could have been a lot more. But God says it's not going to be all of them, but a remnant will come back. Yes, the Lord of heaven's armies has already decided to destroy the entire land. And guess what? Just like the Lord prophesied, just like Isaiah prophesied, a remnant did return years after that. They were destroyed. And then the first and main party uh, returns was Zerubbabel in 538 B.C. So just a couple hundred years after, they come back to rebuild the temple. A second party returns with Ezra about 80 years after that. And they make spiritual and religious restoration and reform. A third wave returns with Nehemiah in 445 B.C. And Nehemiah rebuilds the walls of the city. Just as God said, there was destruction but then there was three waves of remnants that returned to the nation. Why do I say that? Because you can always trust God. He has his eye on you. He will do what he promised. He will preserve you. He sees the future. Isaiah 10, 27 says, In that day, the Lord will end the bondage of his people. He will break the yoke of slavery and lift it from their shoulders. 
It's not happening now, but he's prophesying destruction. Then he's prophesying a remnant returning, and he's prophesying the fact that, you know what? When Nehemiah had to return, he would return with the, with the, with the blessing of the king. There had to be permission there. God's saying, no, no, no. One day, the yoke of slavery will be broken, and my people will once again be free. As he was talking about, really, what's he talking about here? He's not just talking, again, we've talked about how when we look at Isaiah, the, pro, the prophetic is so fascinating because although he's speaking about one thing, he, when he says a virgin will conceive and bring forth a son, he's talking to Ahaz and he's talking about a baby being born and he brought his son with him. And so maybe he was even referencing about his son growing old. But at the very same time, there was a prophetic implication about one day down the road, there was going to be a savior that's born. So even now he's saying there's going to be bondage of slavery broke. A remnant's going to return. And although he's talking about the physical nation of Israel, there is still prophetic implications to something deeper. He's talking here, too, also about a baby being born to a virgin, a wonderful counselor who would hold the government on his shoulders, one who would one day gather again his people. You see, this is what happened, what the Jews were looking for when Jesus stepped on the scene. So when they're looking for a savior, a Messiah, an anointed one, they wanted someone who was going to step on the scene and say, hey, Hey, who's going to do what Isaiah said was going to happen? Who's going to be the one that breaks us free? Because we've, we've dealt with Assyria, we've dealt with Babylon, and we've dealt with all the way to now Rome. And we still have not yet had that. Yeah, we're sure we're living back in Jerusalem. There's things happening, but, but we still are not totally free. Who's that person? And then, you know, Jesus steps on the scene. Oh, is he the one? People wanted to take him. There were people who wanted to force him into being their king. Here's the one. That, maybe this is the guy we've been waiting for that Isaiah talked about. But they were missing it because Jesus, and even this prophetic word, was not just talking about physical freedom on this planet Earth. He was talking about breaking something, breaking us free from something that's a much wider scope of view than just humanity in our 70, 80, 90, 100, 150 years of living back then. It is, there is an eternal breaking of bondage that this man, that, that this Savior is going to break. They, it's not just free from oppression from Rome, Assyria, Israel. In the Gospels, when Jesus comes around, they wanted it to be free from Rome. No, no, it's much longer, wider, and deeper than that. Jesus had an eternal plan, one that transcended their current situation. And guess what? Today, he still has an eternal plan that transcends your current situation. Right now, we get so zeroed in on what's going on at work and our job and our relationship and our finances and our pocketbook and, and ministry and all these things that we forget sometimes that this is so limited what God is doing and working out. When I can step back, if I could just get an eternal view, an eternal scope, I think sometimes I would be a lot more at peace when I know, oh, I'm not just looking at tomorrow or the end of the week or the rest of this year or even into next year. When I can step back and say, God's doing something in my life that I can see through the, through the lens of eternity. See, if Jesus can control the parameters of all eternity, if he really is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the ending, certainly he can take care of whatever the situation is that you find yourself in right now. Is he really the first and last Alpha and Omega and beginning and the end, but he's lost track or he can't handle what you have on your plate today? 
Sometimes these messages are good because it forces us to step back and remember who God is rather than focusing on our situation. And that's the message he tried to get across to Judah back then. That's the message he's trying to speak through the Gospels. And that he tries to speak in the book of Revelation. He's still speaking it today. Here's the question we must ponder, the theme of, of Isaiah. Can you trust me? Will you trust me? That's the theme. Can you trust me? Will you trust me? Because during the time of fear and anxiety, God was speaking through Isaiah. He had that eternal plan. While they were consumed with Assyria and Syria and Israel, God's looking at this eternal picture. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, he says, I'll go further in this. The very next thing after we just read in chapter 10, he goes into 11. He says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word. Remember when Jesus steps on the scene and they said, I'm amazed. He speaks as one who has authority. Because this was a prophetic word about the Savior that's going to be born. And he speaks with authority. And he says, he, Isaiah says, the earth is going to shake at the fourth of his word. One breath of his mouth will destroy the wicked. That's when Jesus, why when Jesus speaks, the demonic realm, the, the demon possessed, they would have to fall down and bow down and say, who are you? You're bothering us before our time. Because he would just walk on the scene and they recognized his power. This is what Isaiah was prophesying. And you look what else the future holds in Isaiah 11, 11. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to bring back the remnant of his people, those who remain in Assyria and in northern Egypt, southern Egypt, Ethiopia, Elam, Babylonia, uh, Hamath, on all the distant coastlands. He will raise a flag among the nations and assemble the exiles of Israel. He would gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. Then at the last, the jealousy between Israel and Judah will end. They will not be rivals anymore. They will be one united nation. There will not be a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Could that, when he's speaking this, I mean, this is absolute craziness, insanity. You have the northern kingdom, united kingdom, talking about, or a northern and southern, talking about a united kingdom again, where there would be one nation, one king, one, one set of rules, one religion. Oh, this, how could this happen? This is, it seemed like insanity. Judah was shaking with fear when Israel teamed with Syria, and Judah then teams with Assyria, and they both were going against God's plan because they were turning to pagan Gentile nations instead of being the one nation under God that God called them to be. But Isaiah prophesies and says, one day this will end. No more jealousy. They will be one nation. And guess what happened? Exactly what Isaiah said. God fulfills the prophecy. He doesn't just gather a remnant or a peace. 
He gathers the entire nation. Amos tells us in Amos 9, 14, I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands. They will rebuild their ruined cities. They did exactly that. They will live in them again. They're doing exactly that. They will plant vineyards and gardens. They will eat their crops and drink their wine. They're doing exactly that. I will firmly plant them in their own land, and they will never, ever again be uprooted from their land that I have given them. Guess what happens on May 15th, 1948? Israel becomes the only nation in human history to be born again. How many do you know? And you, people say, yeah, I'm German, French, Italian, I'm Mexican, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. You, they say these different things. How many Amalekites do you know? How many parasites? How many Hivites, Jebusites? How many do you know? You don't know any because when a nation's destroyed, a nation is done. They're destroyed. Israel's destroyed, dispersed to the four corners of the earth. But God prophesies. And when God speaks a prophetic word, nothing can stand in its way. So God speaks a prophetic word through Isaiah and Amos and so many others. And what happens is, and this is why a lot of people, they said through the years as the Bible, as the printing press started and, and the Bible started to be translated into known languages, this is one of the main reasons why people doubted the validity of the Bible. Because they said, look, it ain't no Israel nation. Israel was destroyed. There's no nation. 1400s, 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Why? Because sometimes we get impatient. When God promises something, we think it's a done deal. It's not going to happen. Hundreds of years goes by. Israel was destroyed in 70, or, uh, yeah, 70 AD. And so Israel's destroyed. There's no nation. You can't what the scripture says. There's going to be a gathering of the four corners of the earth. They're, they're going to be a united nation. None of this has happened. But guess what? Just give them time. Right. A day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is, is a day to the Lord. So May 15, 1948, the state of Israel is once again born, and they become a united nation. And... There are still nations in the Middle East who refuse to acknowledge the statehood of Israel. They are a state. They are a nation. God has, and it doesn't matter because the Bible prophesies one, one day all nations of the earth will gather to do battle against Israel. I wish I would have gotten a, a map. If you can see Israel on a map, it's just tiny. It's just teeny tiny. There's no way that they could stand against all nations of the earth. But just like he did for the Assyrians when he took out 185,000, I pray to God that if all nations are going to gather against the earth, I don't know the United States either mean we, we changed our foreign policy or we've ceased to be a nation. I pray to God. I don't know what to pray to God. Hopefully we just cease to be a nation because you know what? I don't want to turn against Israel ever. I never want to turn against Israel. Because Israel, this is what God has promised. He said they will never, ever again be uprooted from their land. So it does not matter if all nations gather against Israel. They will never be taken out of their land again. I'm thankful. That was even that was a plan that God said, I'm going to have a people that although they, although they were dispersed, they will be born again. It has always been God's plan for his people to be born again. Physically and spiritually, right? And so, 
you look at this, and all these nations, and even Isaiah was, and even though the situation was bleak back then, and even though most of the people were still not responding to God and repenting, and even though King Ahaz was in covenant with a pagan Assyria instead of Jehovah God, Isaiah, the prophet, was offering, was still worshiping because God was offering hope. In spite of all the current circumstances and situations, when God speaks and says, not everybody, but there's going to be a remnant that's going to return. Isaiah just got on his organ. Because he's heard the words, one day, Judah and Israel will unite again. And he knew when God spoke that, it was a done deal. It was a done deal. And so he begins to worship, and he begins to write a song of worship in Isaiah 12. In that day, you will sing, I will praise you, O Lord. You were angry with me, but not anymore. Now you comfort me. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he's given me victory. What a great song of worship. It sounds like God has done some great things. At that moment, God has done nothing great other than give him a word. See, when Moses leads the people through the dry ground, onto, through the Red Sea on dry ground to the other side, that's when the praise, that's when the worship team started. I just pray I can be more like Isaiah and less like the Israelites of Moses' time. My dad always used to say, they have the right song, but the wrong side of the river. I pray I can be more like Isaiah when I don't start the worship service when the situation is resolved. I start the worship service when the word of God comes. And no matter what the situation looks like, I'm worshiping because I have a word from the Lord. If you can, I, I mean, like, God just inspired me to say something really powerful. Notice I gave, I gave credit to God there. That's really powerful. If you can get that, that will change the rest of your life. That will change your forever. If you can worship based on the word and not the situation, I worship because what God has already promised, what he's already given me. Well, yeah, but look, he's talking about people eating their children, destruction. You got enemies all over the place. It does not matter because you know what I'm worshiping? He just spoke and said, one day a remnant will return. One day I will be reunited and Israel and Samaria will be one. Or Israel and Judah will be one. One day that's going to happen. And so because of that, I'm just going to write a song of worship. With joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. Oh, that's a prophetic word. Because because of that root that came off of, of, of David's lineage there, we did drink of salvation. And we still are drinking of salvation to this day. In that wonderful day, you'll sing, thank the Lord, praise his name, tell the nations what he's done. Let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord, he's done wonderful things. Make known a praise around the world. Let all the people of Jerusalem shout his praise with joy, for great is the Holy One of Israel who lives among you. Isaiah began to worship the moment the word went forth. And there's worship not only because of the promise of their future, but victory over their enemies 
because you can see it started with Assyria, but eventually Assyria was destroyed. The enemy becomes Babylon. And look at the prophetic word toward God's enemy named Babylon. Remember, just as Isaiah did discuss the discussion of the virgin conceiving, he, he, he seems to be talking about that present situation at hand while still prophesying about something later. Because here is what is written when God inspires Isaiah to write this down in Isaiah 14. And it's written as a taunt to the Babylonian king. Didn't know there was taunts in the Bible, did you? God literally taunts the Babylonian king. 14.9 says, in the place of the dead, there's excitement over your arrival. The spirits of the world leaders and mighty kings long dead stand up to see you. <coughs> With one voice, they all cry out, now you're as weak as we are. Because the Babylonian king was thinking, I'm untouchable. So God starts giving him word. He says, your might and power were buried with you. The sound of the harp in your palace has ceased. Now maggots are your sheet and worms are your blanket. Oh boy, that's, that's beautiful writing right there. What a visual picture. Honey, I have a poem for you tonight. You're not going to sleep well, but... He says, as he's speaking to the Babylonian king, he says... How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth. You destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne far above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. Boy, does this sound familiar. Sounds a little bit like the day star. It sounds a little bit about like the devil, Satan, who was cast out of heaven. For he said, I will be like God. I will ascend and make myself like God. He says, I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead. Hades, right? Down to its lowest depths. Everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? We give so much authority to the devil because he does this on the earth. The devil made me do it and the devil does not. There's going to be a day where literally he's going to be. Hell was not created for you. It was created for him. And there's going to be a day where he's going to be cast down to heaven. And this is going to happen. Is this the one that caused and wreaked so much havoc in the world? When now we see his true power is nothing. Babylon had the spirit of Antichrist, and this may be a taunt to the Old Testament king, but guess what? Even through, though the nation of Babylon has been defeated and ceased to be a nation, it ceased to exist after this time here, Revelation still speaks of a Babylonian empire. Not because a Babylonian empire exists. But the Apostle John writes about Babylon in reference to the Antichrist. And in Revelation 18, he talks about her great fall. Go check it out tonight. In Revelation 19, immediately after the great fall of Babylon, in reference to the Antichrist, 19 is a song of worship in heaven about the fall of Babylon. 
I'm telling you what, these things are intertwined. Isaiah is prophesying, and he's doing things and saying things that he cannot do and say in his own humanity. But the spirit of the prophetic is coming upon him, and he's penning things, and he's dealing with Ahaz, and he's dealing with a Babylonian king, and he's writing down worship, and he's writing down taunts, and he's writing down these things that God is inspiring him to say. And all of a sudden, a couple thousand years later, John the Revelator is on the island of Patmos, and God is starting to give him visions, and he's writing down things, and it's incredible how similar they are because it's not that oh well but it's a different situation babylon doesn't exist he's on an island isaiah's writing to judah and, and, and i don't i don't really see the similarities there here are the similarities god always has a plan god always wins he's daring his people to trust him the devil has always tried to wreak havoc but he really has no power there's been a place that he knows he's destined to he's on his way there it's just a matter of time before everyone in hell looks at him and says this is is the one who has wreaked havoc all this time, and he is powerless. And so today, tonight, as we close this up, we have to leave this place having a fresh understanding of how powerful God really is and how weak this devil really is. How we can know, you know what, I don't have to fear and tremble. It doesn't matter who gathers around me or what my situation is today. My God is looking at me saying, I dare you to just trust me, to just believe in me, to put your confidence. Yeah, but there's, I'm outnumbered. Let me tell you a story about when I sent an angel to just wipe out 185,000 people. Let me tell you another story in the New Testament about when all nations of the earth gather to do battle against Israel. And I, and I strike them away and the blood flows as high as a horse's bridle. These are the stories that we don't like to touch because they're gruesome and ugly, but they're not gruesome gruesome and ugly to the one who serves the Lord. They're not gruesome and ugly to the one who says, I will trust God. I will stand on his word. When everything else is chaos, I will trust the Lord God Almighty because when he, he has the power to speak and send an angel and destroy whether it's the Assyrians, whether it's the book of Revelation, the nations that are gathering over there, he can speak life into a dead situation. I'm telling you, if you say my marriage is just dead, no, it's not. God can speak life into it but my finances are just messed up God can speak life into it there are things when you say oh you don't know how far I've fallen how many things I've struggled with God can speak life into it God can speak life where there is death he can speak destruction where there's fear he can destroy and tear down whatever has, has built itself up in your life to the point where you're not sleeping well at night because you're anxious and you're fearful you need to just remember who it is that you serve You can stand to your feet. Listen, as you look at this, I wish I had time to look at Revelation and Isaiah and go back and forth. And you can see the way the prophetic, there was just a prophetic flow that it, the Bible is interlocked. That's why people say the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. You know, I used to say, man, my pastor, he'd preach from the New Testament. I was like, yes. When my pastor had preached, I was a little boy and he'd preach from the Old Testament. I'm like, oh man, it's boring. No, 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 no. You've got to understand that the New Testament exists as a, as a fulfillment, as a continuation of the Old Testament. This Bible that we have, it is interlocked. It's unified. It's without contradiction. God's always had a plan, but so has the devil. But God always wins.
He always preserves his people. The devil has sought to destroy the children of God since the beginning of time. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, I killed the righteous seed. No, Seth replaces the righteous seed. Egyptian bondage, killing male babies, killing babies. Here with the division in Israel and the wars in the foreign land, King Herod starts trying the same thing Egypt did and starts throwing male babies into the river. Start killing the believers in the book of Acts. Just behead them, throw them to lions, just, just kill them. And even today, the devil wants nothing more than to cause division and take the voice away from believers. I talked about this on Sunday. If he can get you to live in a society where you're afraid, you're fearful. He can take out your voice, and he's always wanted to take the voice and the lineage and the blood. He's wanted to take it out of the believers. He's tried since the beginning of time. But God always wins. It does not matter who's in control, who's voted in. It doesn't matter if it's King Herod, if it's Pharaoh, if it's whatever president from whatever party. It does not matter. God has always had a plan. And it's always included a blood-bought people, spirit-filled. And his plan was always to preserve a remnant. We are a remnant. Oh, no, no, no. We're not a remnant of the physical land of Judah and Jerusalem where we say our homeland is Israel. No, we're a remnant of the people of God. We are heirs to the promises of Abraham when we take on the name of Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. And that is why for the next several chapters of Isaiah, God gives words to enemies. He speaks to Moab, Damascus, Israel, Ethiopia, Egypt, Babylon, Tyre. You're never going to get to the point where there's not something that's aiming to come against you as a child of God. There's always going to be a Tyre, Babylon, Ethiopia, Egypt, Israel, Damascus, and Moab. But nothing can touch you unless it has God's permission. And so at the end of the day, the question is, do you trust God? Do you trust him with your circumstance? He was there at the beginning. He is his eye is on us throughout the journey, and he will be there at the end. Nothing surprises God. No enemy scares God. The devil will succumb to him once and for all. So like Isaiah, sing a song of worship. Lift your hands, rejoice. Turn to God. Don't focus on your present situation. But no, oh, if he spoke a word, I don't need to look around and see what's going on. I know that he spoke the word and that is why I worship that's what I cling to my God spoke a word unto me I know what the end looks like because he is already at the end so I don't have to fear today when I know that tomorrow is in his hands I invite you tonight to just find a place to worship worship him for who he is worship him for what he's done worship him for the prophetic words worship him that he knows your situation. Worship Him for the fact that nothing going on in your life scares Him right now. Worship Him because of that. You deserve the 
We are. 